Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Before we begin, I have to share a note with our faithful listeners that we're back. Right, our, This is our first podcast since April 17th when we talked to some Canadian resellers about how they're navigating the COVID-19 crisis. Now, we didn't intend on going nearly two months between episodes, just like I didn't intend on going three months uh, since getting my haircut. For those who are watching this on video, that was probably kind of obvious to, uh, obvious to you. But what we had some external issues. So first, a lot of guests weren't available because of the COVID crisis and because a lot of them scaling back their staff. They just didn't have a chance to talk. And then also some internal things going on. Uh, the RSP published a, uh, an addendum to our 2020 POS channel KPI study. We were fortunate 99 members shared their data, and we spent a lot of time crunching that together. But again, the good news is we are back, and it's good to be back. And in our triumphant return, we're going to be talking with two special guests about the future of ISVs, of software developers. Our first guest is Jamie Interdernado. He's the president of Our Power POS a restaurant point-of-sale software solution provider. Our Power was founded in 1994, and Jamie joined the company in 2004 as the Vice President of Business Development. Jamie's been active in the RSPA, providing education for resellers at Retail Now, and he's currently a member of the RSPA's niche and startup ISV community. And you might not know this, but Jamie served in the U.S. Army in the early 1990s as a fire direction specialist. Jamie, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for your service. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. And where are you dialing in from today, just so folks know what part of the country you're in? Uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Wonderful. Well, glad to, glad to have you here. Our second special guest is Jeff Riley, the CEO of Retail Management Hero, a point-of-sale software designed for retailers. Jeff joined RMH in 2018, but he's no stranger to the IT channel. For 10 years, he was the CEO at Dinerware. And for five years prior to that, he was the GM of the Business Solutions Division at Microsoft. And like Jamie, Jeff has been active in the RSPA as a presenter at both Retail Now and Inspire. He's a past co-chair of the Education Committee. He's also a member of the ISV community that Jamie is. And drumroll, please. He was the drummer for the RSPA Jam Band at Retail Now 2013. Jeff, it is always great to cross paths with you. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Great. And where are you uh, dialing in from today? I'm at my home office in Edmonds, Washington. All right, wonderful. So we've got the Northwest and the Southwest covered for this. And I guess let's let's rock and roll. And before we dive into the future of ISVs and their channels, we have to talk for a minute about the COVID-19 crisis. And so I'm curious, you know, how did it impact your organization for what you're willing to share from a public standpoint? And then also what actions did you take to protect your business and your resellers? Because both of you have a very strong and robust reseller channel. Jeff, if you could answer that question first, because I know RMH has an international presence beyond North America, so you might have felt the impact first. So I guess if you can answer the question first, please. Sure. You know, most of the people in our company and throughout our partner community uh, handled the pandemic in a really level-headed and matter-of-fact way. Uh, For our company, our employees work from home already. We're a virtual company, so the impact on our day-to-day work environment really wasn't that different. Um, Our business is very international. So one thing I observed is uh, that whenever we got onto web calls with partners, uh, we would compare notes for the first five or 10 minutes of every meeting and just what's going on in your part of the world relative to the pandemic. And 
that kind of gave us a sense of community, like we all felt we were in this together. And to, to hear uh, notes from different parts of the world was really insightful, interesting. Um, you know, our market is comprised of a lot of different types of retail businesses. So um, it was really different how the pandemic affected different types of retailers, like grocery and liquor stores have never been busier. Uh, but other stores like apparel stores and cosmetic stores were kind of shut down and uh, some are fighting for their existence. Um, our revenue was definitely impacted in April, but overall the immediate short-term impact has been far less than I would have expected. Uh, we really don't know uh, what the future brings. We'll see what happens this summer and throughout the economic uh, recovery period. Uh, which is really one of the biggest challenges of all is the uncertainty that this creates in terms of the future of the business. Got it. Now, you had that diversification where you were in apparel, which was down, but you're also in, like you said, the liquor, you know, that was up. How about from a reseller standpoint? Did you have resellers who were in that same boat as well? Some were all dedicated to apparel and they really struggled, or do you have folks who were more more balanced than that? If you, if you don't mind sharing, how do they, how sure. do they roll with it? We definitely have reseller partners who focus in some verticals more than others, but very few are exclusive to one vertical. Um, and so we did. I think that uh, this, this has, has impacted our resellers differently as well from that perspective. And uh, one conversation with one of our resellers, he said, Jeff, I feel like it's really important for us to um, have a future strategy around some of the more essential retail verticals. Um, which has stimulated some strategic thinking on his part to enhance our product and take it into a cannabis vertical. Got it. Interesting. We'll have to connect on that after the call because I spent uh, last week uh, helping moderate and as a panelist for the 420 MSP Managed Services Providers uh, Cannabis Tech Conference that was held virtually and really see that as uh, as an emerging market. So we'll have to, have to connect offline. So, uh, Jamie, can you talk about our power, how did they uh, handle the COVID-19 crisis? And then your resellers, and you've got everybody focused in the restaurant vertical. And so while you know that uh, a lot of those took a hit as well, what, what, what happened with you guys? Uh, what story would you share? Uh, I would echo a lot of the same sentiments, sentiments that, uh, that Jeff put out there. Is first and foremost, it was, you know, we have a weekly webinar call with all of our resellers and it was about, um, providing resources, getting resources, really everybody sharing with one another what's going on in their community, in their area, uh, what steps they were taking to try to help out the customer base and and seeing what you can do to just help improve or be there or be available. So that was number one, first and foremost. Uh, unlike Jeff, our office, uh, we do have 95% of our people work from our office, which is now quite the opposite. We have gone uh, almost completely virtual. So. Uh, now I have a bunch of extra office space if anybody is interested. Uh, so, but for the time being, it's actually worked out really, really well. Uh, fortunately, uh, most of our employees were able to make a transition pretty seamlessly. Uh, some of the different pieces with collaboration tools, uh, whether it's a go to webinar meeting or go to meeting or Zoom, whatever the case, we've obviously gotten uh, much more experience with, but just from a day to day standpoint. Uh, as far as the bars and the resellers out there is. Definitely, the restaurant industry has been impacted pretty pretty heavily in a variety of different ways. Uh, a lot of it, I would say, first and foremost, is to your traditional table service, dine-in type establishment. Uh, that group has been uh, extremely impacted. 
Uh, on the flip side of that, a lot of groups in the counter service, quick service to go delivery space, uh, just like the grocery and, and, and liquor space, uh, seeing the opposite. They see uh, a spike in business. Uh, so different areas and different verticals we've had to treat differently. Uh, so in the to-go delivery space and even some of the, uh, if you will, in-house dining space that's wanted to transition to digital ordering, um, adding online ordering services, both community and privatized, uh, has been a priority for us. And then in the other spaces where customers have been down, they know they're going to be down in a nightlife environment or in a fine dining environment. It's been about pulling the resources together, uh, doing maintenance, preparation, getting ready to reopen, and how it is that we can help them expose themselves to the community, to their customer base in a digital presence way, whether that's helping them out with social media type stuff, whether it's helping them out with marketing, whether it's helping them out with looking at revenue models for them and how they can help change or what we can provide different technologies for different parts of their business, uh, just simply to help them stay in touch or, or stay in contact with their consumer while they're not able to really interact with them. So. Got it. And that's what it seemed like, whether you're an ISV working with your resellers or a reseller working with your merchants, there was just a point of where you had to provide guidance and information, guidance and information, like you weren't even thinking about sales at that point. I guess first Jeff and then Jamie, is that kind of how you saw it? That was kind of the role that you were playing uh, these last few months when uh, as the pandemic really hit and shut everything down? Yeah, it really takes you out of the day to day sort of grind of, uh, you know, following up on your sales opportunities and your pipeline, because a lot of our partners' pipelines just dried up altogether overnight. So the key for us with our partners has been to remain engaged. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about what we've done during that period, but for, our, for likewise, what we encouraged our partners to do, and I think they just naturally uh, did this on their own, they didn't need us to encourage them to do this is to reach out and engage with their customers, find out who was open, who was closed, find out what the impacts are, find out um, what we could do from a technology perspective to uh, put herself in their shoes and really understand what the challenges were they were going through. Uh, a lot of cases for retailers that meant reconfiguring their business processes to enable things like curbside pickup. Um, so, yeah, just be engaged and understand what can be done to be of service to them during this time frame. Got it. Jamie, what would you add to that? Uh, perfect. Communication is king, uh, is constant communication, is taking the opportunity to find out exactly that, who's open, what their motives are, what they're trying to change. Are they, you know, from bulk to the VAR community, how we can help them out? Is there information we can provide for them? Is there additional support we can provide for them? Uh, partners maybe in space that we can provide. Uh, we had one group that we ended up helping out making up uh, a plexiglass manufacturing company. Uh, so they could go in with their counter service customers and help them become an installation arm for plexiglass. So, I, but first and foremost, and again, I think it's true in any type of business is communication, communication, communication. So uh, just being a resource, being available, uh, providing information, bringing the community together uh, from a VAR standpoint. And then also just as Jeff mentioned is VARs are pretty in touch with their customer base. Uh, it, it's what they do and, and encouraging them to keep staying in contact, finding out what the needs are, how they can help, how they can be assistance uh, was the first and foremost piece. And from that, uh, you respond and react from there. Got it. Thank you for that. And so let me ask you both this. So, you know, I'm curious how you see the new normal playing out. And I have to say on our last ISV community call, I had one of our members send me a message through the chat that said, you know, 
like you should give me a dollar every time you say new normal and I'd be a very rich man. And, and that's true. And I'm going to say it a, a bunch of times here in this question as well. So, you know, how do you see that new normal playing out first, Jamie, in restaurant? Like, what do you see as permanent changes to our channel in general and then to your vertical after COVID is behind us? So first, Jamie, about restaurants and then uh, Jeff about uh, retail. But again, if you could both start your question about just our channel in general, what do you see going forward in the new normal from a technology business standpoint? How is How are folks going to come out of this? What's going to be different? I think the new normal in the restaurant technology space is everyone having the omni-channel approach when it comes to ordering, uh, whether that's mobile-based, digital-based, catering sales, right? It is having every revenue center available to a restaurateur. Uh, that's one side of The second side is also in the payment engine space. So for instance, the ability for customers not necessarily just to interact to send an order in, but how do they, how do, they do curbside? Right? How do they actually notify a restaurant that they're there? How can they pay for a bill uh, without actually, you know, handing things back and forth between the servers? So, what type of contactless payment, if you will, is available to them? Uh, and what what kind of self-driven payments can they do? So, I think that's first and foremost from a technology standpoint. You know, we've seen the advent of online ordering obviously many many years ago, but it's seen today is it's the way that almost every restaurant, if they didn't have it. Uh, is the only way for them to keep in contact with you will with their consumer it expands their storefront out uh, which is extremely important when customers can't come to you effectively but that's first and then the second side again is is with the channel as a whole itself is one making sure that our channel is educated on the partners that we have in space uh, we have nearly 15 different online ordering partnership groups all of them slightly different than one or the other, making sure that we're educating the community uh, on what the benefits are and how they interact from a point of sale technology standpoint, what resellers need to arm themselves with going in because they are the trusted advisor in that space. And it's, you know, it's a matter of when a restaurateur looks at it and says, hey, do I go the community-based online ordering route or do I build something out on my own? What's the time frame to take that? What's the cost expenditures? And not just for today, but, the long term and the ongoing. So, uh, so a lot of that again resolves around communication of the reseller group, and then beyond that to the merchant uh, about educating them what technologies are in space and how it is that their point of sale can be an order management system, if you will, for them rather than just a point of sale system. Got it. You said about being a trusted advisor. I had an RSP member tell me if your merchants didn't reach out to you and ask what should I do, or if you called them, they didn't call back right away and say what should I do. You're not a trusted advisor, right? Because yeah, if they weren't asking else. you now, yeah, then uh, then they weren't. They're not ever going to, uh, or you've got a lot of lot of work to do. So, uh, Jeff, what's your take from a channel standpoint and a uh, technology standpoint? The new normal in our channel and in retail in particular. Well, I think as far as it relates to the channel and and uh, the channel is concerned, uh, the need has never been greater for a trusted advisor and for somebody who's knowledgeable about technology integration to be a partner of, of a retailer who's trying to figure out their way in the world. You know, this is all being driven by the changes in the business that, um, like Jamie was talking about with e-commerce and omni-channel. You know, I just think about uh, grocery sales and online purchasing groceries online. I had never really purchased groceries online before March, but now I have, and the experience was actually pretty good. So consumer behavior has been peaked in terms of uh, changing the behavior. 
which gives the retailers the impetus to follow consumer behavior. And of course, they didn't really have a choice. They had to close, so they had to find a way to keep sales going on. And yeah, a lot of people will go back to their normal purchasing behavior uh, in the store, but a lot of people will change their behavior based upon their experience of, of having uh, tried it now. Um, I look at folks like Amazon and Alibaba and Walmart who are continuing to get bigger and bigger um, and have been seen as a threat by SMB retailers, but that's really not um, entirely accurate. You know, a lot of those big commerce players are actually courting SMB retailers aggressively onto their platforms. In fact, 53% uh, of Amazon sales are now coming from third-party sellers. So there's, there's um, the new normal will involve retailers thinking outside of the box on what their merchandising strategies need to be across multiple channels, not just their own e-commerce websites, but marketplaces and other ways in which to get their products across. Um, and that, that creativity, that opportunity to be creative and, and think outside the box and change their business really creates a different type of an opportunity for traditional resellers of point of sale systems, not just to be uh, operational consultants in terms of how business processes can be automated with um, products that have been developed to support pieces of the business, but rather integrators of different technologies to add more and more value to the strategy of the retail business as it evolves over time. So I'm pretty excited about what the new normal looks like. Got it. Okay. So you're seeing some some opportunities out there. I've had some folks say that they feel that this is an accelerant, whether if you were running a business that was struggling, it was accelerating the demise of the business. So that's on the one end. But then also um, in terms of things in the restaurant retail space, we're going to go more online, more digital, and this just accelerated to do it. Like you said, Jeff, about folks changing their habits. I throw it out to either one of you. Uh, do you guys see it that way uh, as an accelerant or maybe it is to a little bit of a degree or things might calm back down to where they were? But uh, I guess you seeing this as accelerating progress for better or for worse. I think it's definitively accelerating um technology and how it is that technology connects consumer with the merchant uh, you know there's never been a more need that was i would say you know the first impact that we saw to this was immediately for all of those groups that did not have a digital or an e-commerce present it was how do i get there and how do i get there right now um you know turn it on tomorrow because they don't have any other opportunity so that was just the first step. And then once they got into the first step, and now that you know they're now engaged in the e-commerce platform, it's the second step of, well, how do I keep consumer engagement going? And how do I drive towards me? And how can I use the e-commerce and the web platform more as a marketing engine, if you will, for someone to come in? So instead of driving the restaurant space as being, hey, you are a dine-in customer, now I wanna pick you up as a delivery customer, it's the opposite is, is, you know, how do I market to you for a delivery customer and then drive you to become a pickup customer or an engaged dine-in customer? But I think the technology itself is a huge accelerant right now for us uh, in what restaurateurs are needing trying to do. Uh, I think also there's a responsibility from us as the technology providers to do that in a way that we don't move them back, if you will, uh, to the days of having you know, seven different tickets lining all over the place for each order. And now where you see 
you know, six different online learning communities. You have, you know, tablet here, tablet here, tablet there. Uh, consolidating that down so that you're creating a better management system for the restaurateur, not just from their digital presence standpoint, but again, the customer engagement side of it. Got it. And Jeff, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the accelerant before we dive right into all the, the main topic of the day about ISVs in their future? Well, I think it is an accelerant um, for technology, and I think it's that way because any change in an industry is an accelerant in terms of um, how the business have to adapt to uh, survive and thrive in the future. And so it, it, by, by its very nature, that, that change that the pandemic has created is an accelerant in terms of how business owners will look toward technology to help answer those questions. Absolutely. Got it. Thank you. And Jeff, let's stick with you and let's get to our main topic, which is the future of ISVs. Um, and so, Jeff, start with you. If you were asked to give a like a State of the Union address for ISVs and their reseller partners, there wouldn't be all the pomp and circumstance of, you know, like when the president does it, we wouldn't have you walk into Congress and everybody cheer for you. So you just have to give it right now. We're skipping through all that stuff. Uh, what would you say for the uh, the State of the Union for software developers? Like, are you going to say strong, shaky, scary, never been better, in transition? What would be your State of the Union? I think it's a, a, an interesting combination of, on the short term, uh, that there's there's quite a bit of uncertainty and, and maybe even fear that is brought up for a lot of people who are running a technology business um, about how we're going to make it through the crisis. But I believe overall as an industry, we've never been so well positioned for long-term growth and success. And it goes back to some of the earlier points I made about the need for integrated retail technologies just continues to grow and grow. The need for trusted technology advisors uh, grows along with that. You know, omni-channel commerce is a new concept for many of our customers. And it's not just about implementing a system. Uh, these businesses need to have a strategy for growing sales and understanding how technology enables them to do that. You know, as a couple of examples in the retail industry, Ulta, the beauty uh, retailer has an app that allows customers to virtually apply makeup to see how it would look on them. Uh, IKEA just acquired an augmented reality startup that allows customers to visualize home furnishings in their living spaces. These are not moves that typical retailers made 10 years ago. And so the, these retailers are starting to think about how do we get more involved in our customers' uh, life as it relates to building the brand and their experience into that consumer's life outside of the store and how does how do i uh, maintain top of mind placement so that when they think about buying furniture or buying beauty supplies that ikea or Ulta are the ones that they initially think of because they've made those innovations so we're seeing a lot of disruption that has been caused by covid and uh, also innovation and i think what we have to remember right now is that as far as technology is concerned, disruption and innovation go hand in hand. And so I'm really optimistic about the long-term future. Got it. I feel like I should turn to Jamie for a rebuttal, but you can agree if you want. It's almost like, you know, on one side, <laughs> President Riley says this, President Donato uh, says this. So uh, Jamie, what are, the, what are the words, what's your take on the State of the Union for ISVs and the reseller partners? Uh, copy paste. So, uh, <laughs> And that's, you know, absolutely strong is the demand for um, technology in the hospitality space, I don't think has ever been higher. Uh, and the ability to pull all of that together to connect consumer with the restaurateur, 
um, has never been greater. And the need for implementing and supporting that technology for today and an ongoing basis uh, is the norm. Uh, and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, is, is the pandemic has just been accelerant for that in showing, I think, a lot of restaurateurs the fact that you can just build your four walls and, you know, if you build it, they will come is not really valid anymore. Uh, and what they need to do and how they need to engage and how technology can help them engage with their customer uh, is is paramount to their success from a future standpoint. Uh, I can tell you, you know, we have a handful of groups that were in the midst of opening locations during the pandemic, and all of them have shifted what their, if you will, their normal build or their normal vertical would end up being based on the pandemic. Uh, to incorporate at least some level of whether it's been a drive-through component or whether it's been they've decided to minimize their actual uh, consumer, you know, dining experience space uh, to afford them a bigger opportunity for digital ordering or catering-based ordering or back-of-house or virtual restaurants. Uh, everyone is looking at uh, different ways to engage and technology and the order management of that technology uh, is paramount to them from a future standpoint. Uh, a lot of restaurants have fought, if you will, technology being part of their experience and tried to stay away from it to a certain degree. And, and this has been a very big eye opener to let them know uh, this is the future for them and they need to engage and they need to get involved with it. Got it. So before I ask some follow-up questions, just two points. So you alluded to um, Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. And I'm glad you brought that up and said it's not valid because I've said for years, like, that's a movie, right? Just because it was set in a movie doesn't make it true. Like, Yoda isn't real, right? Just because that was in a movie doesn't mean, well, I guess I should just go ask this wise little, I don't even know what he is, uh, kind of thing. And that's going to give me all the guy and say, you're right, no longer. If you build it, they will come. And also, you said copy and paste to what Jeff said. I guarantee, you know, not to get political, but the next time the president delivers a State of the Union, the rebuttal won't be, you know, copy and paste, agree with everything. <laughs> you know, that was said there. Uh, so I'm glad we can come to some uh, some agreement. So some follow-up things in terms of uncertainty and fear. Um, how do ISVs handle that? Because I'd say almost every ISV that I've talked to, it's always some state of transition, right? You're either making changes to your software the market is changing, or if you're just not making changes, then you're becoming less relevant. So I guess I'll throw it out to either one of you, like how are you handling the uncertainty and fear with software companies are difficult to run anyway in normal times, uh, let alone with the uncertainty and fear. Yeah, can one of you address that, please? Sure. Um, you know, I think when when all else fails, the 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 best way out of a predicament is to listen to your customer. And in our case, um, that's our partner. Um, we, we have gotten together with our partners recently in a renewed effort to hold sort of product focus sessions um, where the voice of our partners helps us prioritize and direct our efforts in terms of what we're working on to enhance the product set next. So, you know, how do you deal with uncertainty and fear? You deal with it in a, by, by leaning on process and good processes to listen to the customer and follow follow uh, the, the feedback that you get. So that's that's my simple answer. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, there's no substitute for competent people getting closer to a situation, right? If you're just going to guess because the everything is foggy, you're going to end up uh, you're going to end up with problems. So, uh, and Jamie, let me follow up on a point that you asked in terms of 
the different ways of engaging. Can you talk about now, I guess, the burden that is on you and your development team to either integrate with those new ways or come up with those new ways of engagement? Um, not to like say the pressure's on you guys, but it seems like there's additional pressure for you to be able to keep up uh, with all these things. How, how are you handling that? How do you see that playing out for you and other software developers? There's there's always been pressure to add third-party integrations or add innovative technology and, and to constantly bring that to the forefront, you know, as quick as possible. But you need to temper that a little bit to make sure that uh, you get the proper feedback, you do the right focus groups, you see what it is working um, for restaurant groups, you hear what customers want or what they don't, right? So there's always a balance in pushing out new technologies with making sure you're doing it the right way um, and you're hitting the masses, if you will, in doing so. At the same point, you know, it is, it's always been a hurdle, if you will, in development space to bring on new integration partners, making sure that uh, they are the right partners, if you will, in space, not just for merchants, but for your customers and the resellers as well that they can engage with. So, you know, going down the path of what, new needs there are in the technology for the restaurant space is, is listen to the customer base, listen to the reseller group, uh, and work towards that goal and, and do it in a responsible way. Uh, we don't make rash decisions, if you will, from a developmental standpoint. It's tried and true, make sure you test the marketplace with what you need and what you want, uh, and try to put it out in the best way you can. Jeff, what would you add to that? Um, I don't know that I'd add a whole lot to that. I I, I agree with it, and um, it's you know I think back back to what I said. It's the the voice of the customer is what guides us forward. You know I think that there are times that you have to. Um, I guess the other thing that software companies really think about is how to continue advancing the architecture underneath the product because it's not all about features. It's also about form factor of the technology and are we staying current and are we using the best combination of different. Uh, uh, technologies uh, to position us for the future. So there is some technical debt that has to kind of be proactively invested in so that um, you don't accumulate that debt. You don't create uh, more difficulty in the future by continuing to just uh, let the product become bloated and, and monolithic. Um, so that, that's something that I might add to that. Got it. Thank you for that. And let's pause here for a moment to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or affordable. Uh, the RSP has expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which for resellers starts at just $250 a day, 68 cents a day, these high-value services. I was going to say you have that in your pocket, but with everything moving to contact with payments during COVID, maybe you don't keep change in your pocket anymore. Maybe you're uh, soaking it in hand sanitizer. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, ScanSource, and Shift for Payments. To receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or an RSPA sponsorship, email membership at GoRSPA.com. Org. And finally, in response to the COVID-19 crisis, the RSP has launched the RSP Solution Center, a new online platform designed to introduce VARs and ISVs to innovative solutions and connect them with the providers of these solutions. You'll find product details, videos, white papers, case studies, channel executive contact information, and more. 
To grow your channel business, Google RSPA Solution Center today. Alrighty. Well, thank you for that uh, commercial pause there. Um, and, and let's jump into, uh, you know, I'm curious to get both of your take on the emergence of direct ISVs, because you've talked a lot about the challenges already. Let's talk about those, these small startups offering niche POS software or adjacent functionality, like some things we've mentioned, online ordering, pay at the table, digital marketing, loyalty programs. Should we view them as offering important innovations that are going to help our channel evolve? Or should some resellers see them as a threat? Because a lot of these folks have direct relationships with merchants, then they bring everybody else along for the ride. So I guess, Jamie, can you address that first? And then Jeff, talking about direct ISVs, how do you view them? How do you think uh, the reseller channel should view them? From a direct ISV standpoint and new technology, regardless of what that technology is, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the trusted advisor approach. Uh, and when new technology is being developed or put out there, I know recently, for instance, there's been a large push in customer facing payment, if you will, uh, for how it is that a customer can do some engagement. Uh, resellers need to pay attention, um, need to, uh, in some cases, partner with them. Uh, there are a lot of viable reasons why additional technology comes to the forefront is because of the customer demand for that technology. Uh, and so, Yes, there's an impact to the reseller because you look at, uh, do you bring them on as a partner, if you will, to help service the customer or consumer to, to their success? Uh, at the same point in time, you know, expand the offering, if you will. You are in the point of sale space. Uh, you are typically the technology advisor, if you will, for uh, your customer and your merchant base. It's impossible, if you will, for a VAR reseller to be able to handle 100% of the technology needs across platform for a consumer. Making those additional partnerships is something that uh, resellers and buyers should build on from a day-to-day -day standpoint. Uh, it, it's something there, there can't be just a singular solution that is, uh, that's meant for everybody and everything. It just doesn't work that way in the restaurant space. Uh, I always kind of use the that is that, you know, pepperoni pizza, everybody knows what it is, but I don't know that you ever get the same slice of pepperoni pizza at a thousand different locations across the US. So in the same way with how technology is being used by a location is unique to that location uh, and what they can do and how they build upon that. And that's where the advisor role comes in and where different partnerships play a very key role. So uh, stay the trusted advisor, right? Stay, uh, stay in touch and, and in control with your customer, making sure they have the resources that they need. And then if that comes from a third party resource, then so be it all the better. Got it. Jeff, your take on direct ISVs and how you feel about them as a software developer and how uh, resellers should feel about them. Well, I feel like um, in th there's a place for direct ISVs that, that not every software product is meant to be sold through a value-added channel. And not every retail store or restaurant needs a sophisticated and integrated software package to run their business. Um, so I think that... Uh, like the world is very large with a lot of different types of businesses and solutions, uh, there are opportunities that are very legitimate for direct ISVs. Um, tends to be um, the simpler the product, the simpler the business need, the more likely a direct ISV solution is going to be a good fit. Um, a product that is uh, doesn't require a lot of support or training uh, that can be deployed over the cloud 
those those lend themselves to being sold directly. Um, throughout my career, the history of my career, I've never seen any ISV in our point of sale market with more than 20% market share around the world. So I, I think that it's going to continue to be a very fragmented industry over time. And I think that the more you get into niche markets, the more likely the opportunity exists for these uh, direct ISV players to make a dent and, and become successful. So like Jamie said, I think it's an important thing to uh, look at through a couple of different lenses. One, to keep our eyes open on uh, potential threats in the future, but also for opportunities. Um, just because an ISD sells direct doesn't mean they can't be an interesting partner to uh, evaluate working with. Uh, they may they may have an integration with uh, your technology that you represent. They, you may learn something from them. You may uh, uh, learn so, some things about how they're doing business that can make you more competitive. And, and so I, I don't think they're friend or foe. I think they can be either. And um, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of intrigued by some of the direct plays that uh, have been brought to market in the past. And uh, I, again, I think it's a, an opportunity for all of us to sharpen our our uh, our tool set by taking a look at what's going on in different niche verticals. And I have to say, the way you started that answer where you said, there are some instances where it's better for a software to go direct, right? And a reseller is not needed. Ten years ago, I think in that space, that would have been sacrilege, right? For somebody to say that. I remember I used to talk to resellers and they would say, if this software developer sells direct at all, I won't have anything to do with them. Like that was the de facto stance. I remember a couple of years ago talking to a software or a reseller saying that if anybody sells direct, I'm not working with them. I'm like, I don't think you're going to work with anybody then, right? Because it's almost, I mean, you know, he was looking for all sorts of different solutions. There's very few who do everything directly uh, or do everything indirectly through their reseller channel. And it's just interesting that you're acknowledging, hey, there are some spots where this direct is the way to go. Is it hard for you to say that because you've been in the industry for so long and, and seeing how it's morphed? Or is it just like, hey, you got to roll with the, the punches. And sometimes at these lower tiers, a direct, simple solution is is what's needed. I'm, I'm curious your your take on that, Jeff. Yeah, and I think I think that part of it is just being accurate about what is actually happening and being objective about it. Just because something might not be in our best interest in terms of how it affects our business doesn't mean that it's not happening or shouldn't happen. Um, and the more resistance that you know we put on um, uh, approaches that might be competitive to ours, uh, the the more we have our head in the sand. The more we have to we really do need to look at it and observe what's going on and why is it happening this way? And, you know, what do I need to adjust? How do I need to adjust my business based upon the reality of what's happening? Um, maybe I need to go more up market because my value is going to be recognized by larger customers who have more sophisticated needs. Or maybe I need to be more efficient about how I sell and deliver solutions so that uh, the direct sales threat isn't, isn't as much of a direct uh, threat because I can now show the best of both worlds that I have an efficient delivery infrastructure as well as uh, a personal uh, services, you know, services in a relationship that a local uh, business person can count on being there for their IT needs. So yeah, that, there's, uh, yeah, I just think you have to be honest and objective about what's happening and what direction things are going so that you can continually adapt and adjust your business model. 
that's a more mature approach than just sticking your fingers in yours and going, la, 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 la. Like, I don't want to hear what's going on. I want everything to be the way that it, it used to be. Because there are some folks who are um, longing for the past. And, uh, you know, I had an old boss who told me there's no room in business for nostalgia, right? You can't be looking back on those nostalgic things. You have to keep up with the times. Uh, Jamie, what's your take, uh, you know, on what, uh, what Jeff said there in terms of, hey, sometimes direct is is the way to go depending on the application. And here's how resellers and ISVs have to adjust with that. I agree with that. It's not only is direct sometimes the way that it needs to go based on an application, but it can also be direct as the way it needs to go based on a customer, right? Is that uh, there sometimes need to be uh, a direct ISV to consumer relationship to a certain degree, depending on what that customer's needs are, the size of the customer, the scope of the customer. Uh, some bars have the ability to to deal with, you know, just their region. And by region, I may mean, you know, 50 square miles, if you will, uh, around where there are versus someone going out, you know, through an entire state or a metropolitan area and then, you know, regionally, southeast, southwest, northeast, northwest. Uh, and an ISV can help out in a lot of those areas where you can pull your community together to help out and kind of be that centric force for a customer that is a nationwide or, or a spread regionally, if you will. Uh, there's also other cases where uh, an ISV may have resources, if you will, to be able to do things uh, in areas that there aren't resellers. Uh, you know, our part of while we do have a, a robust reseller community, uh, there are areas in the country that we simply don't have a reseller representation. Uh, but nevertheless, there is a customer base and a demand in the area. Uh, and so those environments, you reach out and you try to see what you can do through the channel. I think there is a lot to be said in an ISV doing direct business or a direct combination channel where making sure that the reseller community is comfortable with uh, the contracts that you have in place with them, making sure that their interests from a future standpoint are protected as well as yours as an ISV. So uh, keeping them comfortable with, hey, we want you as a reseller, you're a sales arm for our community. We expect you to be here for not just today but, or tomorrow, but you know, many, many years in the future. Uh, and we're, we're, we're orientated to their success because they know that their success is our success. But just as Jeff alluded to, there are definitive needs in areas where ISV and direct sales definitely come into play. And do you see, I'll stick with you, Jamie, and then Jeff, do you see our channel becoming more ISV-centric because of these direct ISVs who are getting more involved? And then resellers developing their own intellectual property as a differentiator, like there'll be an, a hybrid ISV and VAR. Do you see that happening way more, especially as folks focus on specialty niches? Is that something we should expect? Is that something resellers should do, is start developing some aspect of their own software or some particular tweak to the software they're selling? Uh, I think it's creating uh, the need, if you will, for the VAR community to decide what they are. Are they a service and support organization um, or are they willing to invest in technology? Uh, you know, Jeff talked earlier about technical debt and I'm, I'm well aware of what technical debt means in the software development world is uh, you're building, you know, floors three, four and five when you need to rebuild floor number one. So, you know, there's a lot, I think, that. As the future goes, ISVs, or excuse me, VARs have always tried to figure out a differentiator for them, for their customer. Some, based on their acumen, their skill set, uh, have been able to, you know, add on different products. A lot of products in our space, specifically, uh, you know, I can name two or three different POS companies that started off as, as 
an add-on component to uh, a current or you know a legacy POS provider that then morphed into a POS product. So uh, it depends, I think, on the bar, but it's making them force the make the decision of what are we? Are we going to excel in the service support space and find the proper partners where we need to uh, and go down a growth cycle from there, or uh, am I more interested in starting to do that niche startup and invest in uh, something that gives me uh, a little more control, if you will, of a customer or a separator in the market um, for a typical type of customer? And am I looking for the resources to get that from beyond niche to the next level, if you will? Interesting. Hadn't heard it put that way before. Jeff, uh, your take on the hybrid ISV, you know, ISVs, uh, you know, channel becoming more ISV centric. I definitely see this happening more and more. In fact, um, at RMH, we are actively pursuing this as a strategy. Um, as an example, we're, we're encouraging our partners to develop market-specific solutions and niches so that we can be more successful about penetrating those verticals. We're doing that for comic books. We're doing that for thrift stores, health food stores, pharmacies, liquor stores, and cannabis, just to name a few examples. Um, Developing software products is not for the faint of heart, so not just any reseller uh, is advised to do this, but there are many ISVs out there with open platforms and good opportunities for part of these types of partnerships. And I think it's a very smart strategy for resellers who have development skills to give this serious consideration. You know, these initiatives, a couple of things to remember, these initiatives always start with a single customer opportunity. And a, and a lot of learning and hard work along the way. So it, it, it can be looked at as an evolution, not just a strategy, but something that can be built over time. So there's no big risk or, or uh, uh, upfront investment that may need to be required in order to pursue this type of a strategy. Uh, also, it should be said that just having development capabilities doesn't mean you have to build a product. We have a lot of resellers who have great developers on their team and have, who have no desire or plans to productize their software that they develop. They just use those resources to support customization and integration requirements for specific customers. Uh, but yes, I do see this as a growing trend and an exciting opportunity. Yeah, and ISV VAR hybrid doesn't mean you throw out all your other software and you develop everything on your own. It could be, like you said, those customizations, which makes the difference. And you don't have to sit and stare at your ceiling tile and go, what should I come up with? It's really listening to the customers, which you guys have, have alluded to before. Um, so we're near the end of our podcast here, but I can't talk about the future of ISVs without talking about acquisitions. And so we've seen fewer acquisitions of ISVs as of late. I mean, there was a big run, well-publicized a few years ago with Shift4 and Heartland. I know, Jeff, you're familiar with the Heartland one, uh, scooping up a lot of software developers. And uh, we just did our RSPA uh, KPI study. When we did it earlier in 2020, 23% of ISVs plan to acquire and 10% aspire to be acquired. Uh, aspire to be acquired. In May, when we did the update, only 3% said they plan to acquire and only 7% uh, aspired to be acquired. And so, you know, somebody told me a few years ago, in the not too distant future, all ISVs, not some, not most, but all ISVs will be joined by processors. But we're seeing this acquisition thing kind of stall at this point, do you think it's just a temporary thing? Uh, do you think that all ISVs will be owned by processors at some point? I guess, Jamie, starting with you, what do you think of the channel should expect, you know, over the next 6, 12, 18 months in terms of ISV 
acquisitions. Gaze in your crystal crystal ball and share with us what you're seeing. Uh, from my side and experience-wise is I would definitely agree that there's been a little bit of a slowdown from the standpoint of really it was Heartland and 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 ship for making the acquisitions kind of obviously, you know, for a period of time. Uh, you know, a lot of tire kicking, if you will, right now in the industry seems to come from or the interest seems to come from private equity in building up the niche ISVs to that next level or expanding upon that next level. So not sure there, there are a few different groups that you know I'm aware of that are trying to do a consolidated approach for multiple different niches within a given vertical. Um, so for instance, whether it's taking on you know a pizza product and then turn around and taking on a retail product and turning around. So having kind of a little bit different divisions within that software you know cycle, if you will. Uh, so with, I would say that's the first area that I would look. I don't know that it's as much of Consolidation by a singular, you know, processor, if you will, that's going to be acquiring a bunch of different products versus a private equity investment inside of, you know, those niche ISVs to get them to that next level, if you will. Got it, Jeff. Your take, and I know you worked for a while, um, if I remember correctly, in the acquisition space. Am I right? Like you were uh, helping folks get acquired or, or figure out how to do acquisitions, if I remember correctly. I was. I was. Between uh, Dinerware and RMH, I spent a year with an M&A advisory firm, and uh, so that was an interesting experience. Um, I and, and along the lines of M&A, I think that, you know, we did see a huge flurry of activity between, say, 2014 and 2018, and a lot of it was done by Heartland and Shift4. Um, and I, I don't think we're going to, you know, that was kind of unprecedented in that period of time. I don't think we'll see um, a run like that in the foreseeable future. But I don't think mergers and acquisitions will ever stop in our industry. I think it's just a natural course of what happens in business and the life cycle of small businesses. If I, uh, if I can ask, why don't you see a run like what happened in, like you said, in 2014 and, and beyond? Why, why don't you see that happening again at any time? Uh, in the well, future, for, for one, a lot of those independent companies have been acquired, and so there's just a whole, new, a whole new fleet of companies that are just coming up now behind that, companies like Our Power and RMH and other ISDs out there that are at a different point in their life cycle. Um, but also, if you look at the, um, the acquirers, uh, they have kind of gone through their own consolidation. And now there's really three giant players in payment processing, at least in North America, that uh, people are all familiar with. And, and I think that um, uh, the, 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 just the landscape is different about where these companies are in their life cycle. There was quite a bit more convergence going on between payment processing and point of sale during that time frame as well. We've kind of reached a level of maturation um, that we weren't, you know, the, that time frame five years ago was kind of when it was all going, all kind of unfolding and happening. So those are those are some of the reasons. You're saying so those payment companies were looking for differentiators, and so some of them were acquiring software companies. But now that there's fewer payment companies, I would say there's less need to differentiate. But is that essentially what you're saying? Is there's less of a race because there's fewer people to race against in the payment space? I, I do think that way. I also think that a lot of that, that that activity, if you remember back in the case of Heartland, they acquired, and Dynaware was one of the companies that they acquired, but they acquired Digital Dining. They acquired, um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting some of the names of the companies, but um, 
they did so without really a lot of people understanding what was going on behind the scenes. And what was going on behind the scenes is that Heartland itself was trying to make itself more valuable in the eyes of uh, potential acquirers uh, of their, their business. So they in turn got acquired by Global Payments. So the, the motivations behind doing this acquisition activity is, is in many cases um, to build value for the future of that company in the eyes of other suitors. So I think now that people, now that these properties are owned by, um, you know, a fewer number of very large companies, FIS, Global Payments, um, uh, that, that in, in essence, what happens a lot of times now is the rationalization of internal product development efforts and product strategies um, that, you know, follows the acquisition period. Okay, now that we have these properties, what's working, what's not? How do we consolidate the teams? What is the right future product strategy that comes out of this? And companies like Microsoft did that with their business solutions properties, you know, Great Plains and the vision and all of these things have, you know, kind of undergone the internal um, uh, assimilation process and then and, and now have become, uh, you know, fully embedded an internal product strategy and product group initiatives. So the, the need for acquisition of new capabilities um, is kind of uh, passed in some cases. Got it. But we might see more of those private equity. It sounds like both of what you're saying in terms of uh, both of you are saying that we should look out for those private equities as well. It might not be consolidating all those ISVs, but it might be some other folks coming in and, and yeah. taking them over and trying to grow them out. So. Interesting. All right. Yeah, we will never stop talking about acquisitions in the channel and especially in the software and, and the payment space. So I know we're, we're running short on time. My last question for you, Jamie, and then Jeff, and we ask our guests this from time to time, can you recommend for our audience a book to read, an online resource to follow, or a podcast to listen to that would help them improve their organization? Jamie first. Uh, I'll give a shameless plug to RSPA, uh, the resource center. You guys have done a great job um, for uh, the community as a whole. I use it. Uh, I know a good majority of my reseller community uses it. Uh, but I would say, you know, from an industry standpoint within our space, uh, I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn, uh, pay attention to LinkedIn and, and different individuals, if you will. There's a lot of great resources there. And then at the same point in time, the standards for our industry and being, whether it's the ETA or whether it's the National Restaurant Association, uh, I will say for our merchant community and our online portal, uh, we give them access to the RSS feed for restaurant business online uh, is one that seems to have a, a good bit just specific to the restaurant industry, if you will. So we pay attention not only to what affects us from a software standpoint, but also what affects our consumer, if you will, our merchants, right? Uh, and then last, just for uh, for some personal preference, uh, now I know. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. It's just a, a daily tidbit of uh, information. Uh, it's been an interesting, if you will, little uh, cultural uh, facet of information on a day-to-day -day standpoint, but nothing business related there. Got it. Okay. Well, you have to have some change of pace and you have to know beyond your yeah. business uh, as well. So no, thank you for that, Jamie. Yeah. And especially if folks aren't active on LinkedIn, I can say from firsthand experience, there's a lot of great info out there. If you connect with a lot of folks in the industry, you'll see information that they're sharing. You'll get things presented to you that you don't know uh, otherwise. Uh, Jeff, how about for you? Uh, book to read, online resource, podcast to listen to uh, that will help our listeners and our viewers become better leaders, better managers of their organization. Sure. I've been listening to quite a few different podcasts, but I'm actually going to recommend a book 
that has been written by Christopher Connors. The name of the book is Emotional Intelligence for the Modern Leader, A Guide to Cultivating Effective Leadership and Organizations. So um, this is a book that I've been that has been recommended to me um, by one of our partners. I have not yet read it, so I'm passing this recommendation along, although I can't personally vouch for it. But it sounds like it's a, a really relevant book uh, in terms of what's happening in the world today with a lot of uncertainty um, and how to apply sort of these life skills that um, we hear about often in podcasts and other books and apply them to our personal and professional lives. And I find those to be pretty interesting uh, subject matters. Got it. And you able to share any of the podcasts that you uh, listen to? More for entertainment purposes. I like okay. uh, Armchair Expert and, uh, by Dak Shepard. That's one of my favorites. And um, the, the Goop podcasts are kind of fun and interesting as well. The one thing about podcasts is they teach you how to communicate, right? Because they're such effective communicators and we're all in the communication business. So, again, if you're not on LinkedIn, if you're not listening to podcasts because you're saying, I've never done that stuff before, uh, it's a good time to to adapt and they're pretty pretty easy to sign up for. So, well, gentlemen, thank you for that. And to our listeners and viewers, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better place. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point of sale channel, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again to Jamie and Jeff for sharing their wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA Marcom manager Chris Donald for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, everybody.